for the next few moments I pray speak through me let the words that I say be straight from the throne room of heaven and let it fall upon ears that want to hear the good news of the gospel help us to receive it in the right spirit help us to grow oh God today stretch us Lord and help us to learn something from your word and we'll give the glory for all the good things that are coming come on somebody we'll give you the glory for all the good things that are on the way we give you glory God somebody give him glory we thank you Lord for the good stuff that is coming in this service in the mighty magnificent name of Jesus we pray those that love him say amen amen you know I think now more than ever in my life and I've been doing this for nearly a decade this thing called full-time ministry and I believe that now I want the Lord to know this one thing I want him to know that he's got me I want him to know that he has me. How many would say, Pastor, that lines up with where I'm at in my walk with the Lord right now. I want him to know that he's got my family. Come on, somebody. I want him to know that he's got my ministry. I want him to know that he's got my children. I want him to know that he occupies my mind. I want him to know that he is in control of my marriage. I want him to know that he is in control of this church. And as we are now entering into the last quarter of the year, I can't believe that today is the last Sunday in September. Next Sunday is going to be the first Sunday in October. It is my prayer that we finish this year stronger than we've ever been as a church on fire continuing to grow continuing to connect people to the ministry of this house come on somebody I want people to know that as they see Calvary out in this community they would say oh that's Calvary God's in control of that church that's Calvary. We know they're a little bit radical because he's in control of everything. I want my life and I want this church to testify to that reality. And if there's ever been a time in my heart to be right before the Lord, hear me. That time is right now. And I want to preach a message to you today. I, I'm, can I just be 100% transparent with the body? I struggled with this word. This has been in my mind, it's been in my thoughts, it's been in my spirit now for a few weeks. It's a little bit of an uncomfortable topic for preachers to preach in, in America today because whenever you begin to talk about people's money, people get a little funny. Whenever you begin to talk about people's finances, they begin to tune you out. And it's one of the preacher's fears that everybody in the congregation is going to judge him and say, oh, there goes another preacher talking about money. If you've attended Calvary for even a short period of time, you know I have not preached a message on money in quite some time. In fact, I looked over my records. It's been nearly two years that I've dedicated a sermon to your finances but here's the deal here's why I'm preaching this I want you to be blessed 
if there is a doubt in your mind, I pray that that one phrase, that one sentence erases the negative thoughts in your mind. I want this church to be blessed. I'm going to talk about the Bible today. And how many know that money is found in the Scriptures? If you've attended Calvary for a long period of time, you know we talk about everything here. If it's in the Bible, we're going to talk about it. Breakthrough blessings in the bedroom. Come on, somebody. But here's why I want to talk about it today. Because it's important to Jesus. And whatever is important to Jesus, hello, am I talking to anybody, should be important to us. In fact, if you look in the Bible, there are 500 verses concerning prayer. There are nearly 500 verses concerning faith. But there are nearly 3,000 verses dedicated to the scriptures involving money. Of Jesus' 38 parables... 16 of the 38, he's talking about finances. If it's a priority to Jesus, it's going to be a priority to me. And if you've ever heard a message on, on giving, you've heard of Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, where Jesus himself says these words, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Many people are looking at the screen and you're looking for verses, and you're looking for points, you're not going to find it in the introduction, because here's the deal. I rewrote my introduction an hour before service. That's how much I struggled over this message. Because I want you to know, I'm trying my best to preach this within the right spirit. But Jesus is saying, for wherever the treasury is there. Your heart shall be also. The word treasure in the Greek, it has some symbolism because it means this, the good, valuable, and the precious. It, it, it represents what is found in your heart. And how many know if it's in your heart, it's a priority in your life. If it's in your heart, it's a priority in your life. Why is Jesus talking about money? Pastor, why are you talking about the finances today? Ultimately, here's the reason. Because if Jesus doesn't have your money, he doesn't have you. And I want Jesus to have me. I'm talking about Eric Danner for just a moment. I want Jesus to have me. I want him to have all of me. I want him to have 100% of me. You know why it's hard for me to preach this message to you, but not to me? Because I live this. We tithe every Sunday. If we didn't, I wouldn't be ordained with the Assemblies of God. They'd pull my papers. But I don't do it to keep my papers with a ministry organization. I do it, number one, because Jesus commanded me to do it. And I do it, number two, because I want the generations to follow me. I want my sons and their children to be blessed. So many people have probably gone on a social media site, and you've seen debate over the tithe topic. Many people say, well, it was found in the Old Testament. Let me, let me tell you this. Jesus himself confirmed tithing in Matthew 23, 23. Many people say it's for the law. Well, let me also pop that bubble. 
Tithing was found 400 years before the law was ever the law. It's when, G, uh, it's when Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. So many people in this congregation I know have struggled financially over the years. And I've heard, I've heard this statement. Pastor, I can't afford to tithe. We just can't afford it. Here's my answer to that. You'll never be able to afford to tithe until you tithe. Because how many know in this place, little is much when God is in it. And so I want to talk about money for just a few moments today. If you're ready to receive, somebody say, bring it on. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting at verse 3. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped for. Their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do it. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. Do you get what Paul is trying to say right there? He's saying to a specific church who we're going to name in just a moment, you've got it going on in several areas of your ministry. You've got fantastic preaching. You've got phenomenal worship. Man, the ministries are run with excellence. But here's the deal, Paul is saying, we want your giving to match the excellence that's, that's found in every aspect of your ministry. And here's what he's saying in verse 8. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is. Uh-oh. I'm not commanding you to do this, he's saying, but if you love God, man, it's going to be a quiet Sunday today. Verse 9, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he can make you rich. Here's my advice. It'd be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, in 2015, Calvary gave it all. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. Now, you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourself. No, no, no. Don't go into debt by giving your tithe. Do it in accordance to what you got going in is what Paul is trying to say. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now, you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, things are going to be equal. As the scriptures say, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little 
had just enough. I love this passage of Scripture. In it we find the great apostle Paul, who is on his third missionary journey. He is now the elder statesman in this thing called Christianity. And he's going around, and here's what he's doing. He's trying to take up a quote-unquote relief offering for the poor. He, everywhere he goes, every church that he starts, when he sends his young preachers who fall in line underneath his ministry, all the reports are coming back to him how poor people are. And Paul's trying to, to say, what can we do to help them? I know the church should take care of the needs. It's not the government's job. It's not the president's job. It's not in the job description of the Congress. It's the church. For wherever a need is, the church should be able to meet that need. Now this is Paul. This is the man who writes the majority of the New Testament. And he could be anywhere preaching the gospel, but he is choosing to spend his time raising money to help people. You see, the Bible says in Acts 20, 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, here's the deal. That's hard for the American church to hear. You hear it now on the election that's coming up. All these candidates that are promising, I'm going to put more money into your bank account. I'm going to offer you this. I'm going to give you this tax credit. I'm going to provide relief for you in this way. And we always choose a candidate. Man, I know I'm not going to get We always try and choose a candidate who's going to promise us the most. It's the, it's the mentality that has even crept inside the American church. When Jackie and I did our taxes a few years ago, we went to an H&R Block. They always lend a helping hand and take three days. And our tax accountant, she could not believe that we went above and beyond our 10%. At first, she couldn't even believe that we were given 10% away. Do you remember this? I believe that year we were like at 12 or 13% of our total income that we had given away to our tithe and offering and missions and all that. She was just astounded that we would give that much away. But you know, we did it willingly. We didn't do it grudgingly. I didn't do it. I surely didn't do it because a pastor told me to do it. I did it because the Lord wanted me to do it. And I know this. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And we live in a society where people think we're crazy if we give away 10% of our finances to Jesus. You're loco. You're insane. I'm not going to that church. But I'm thankful. I just live in man's society, but I live by God's kingdom. And can I just, can I just be blunt today? Is that all right? Listen, I've got a phenomenal series that's coming up next week. You know, we're going to shout. We're going to fall out in the spirit. We're going to hang from the rafters. It's going to be awesome. But today, I'm going to be blunt. God expects you to give, and I give expecting because I know my God will bless me in return. And Paul comes to the, 
that the church here in Corinth, writing how great the church and Macedonia is doing. He says, I want you to know what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed and rich generosity. Let me tell you something. As a pastor, I want somebody to say those words about my church. When people think about Calvary, my God, those people are on fire. Not F-I-R-E, F-I-Y-A. Those people are on fire. I'm back. You're all like, go on vacation again. <laughs> but I want people, when they think about Calvary, my goodness, those people, they give. They're generous. There's an abundant joy that's creeping out of the four walls at Edgewater Public School. It's starting to now creep into the community. It's actually... It's overflowing with the teachers that are at the school. The students are behaving now. The parents are happy because their children are happy and sleeping through the night. That has nothing to do with your finances. I just want people to be happy in this place. But I want people to know that we are overflowing with rich generosity. Basically, what Paul is telling the church at Corinth, hey guys, Macedonia is killing it. The Bible says in verse 2, they are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor. They're killing it. In fact, if it was a competition, which it's not, Macedonia would be winning. But here's the deal about the church in Macedonia. They're troubled. They're going through some stuff right now. Paul's telling them that they're experiencing not just troubles, but many troubles. Is there anybody underneath the sound of my voice today that's ever gone through many troubles? Have you ever walked through some stuff? Have you ever felt like the weight of the world is on your shoulders? Have you ever turned to the left and there's trouble over here and so you turn to the right and there's trouble over here? The Bible says that the church in Macedonia, they've been going through it. It just seems like everything at once has gone wrong in their life. I'm talking to somebody today that's going through a little bit of trouble. You can't get a handle on things and if you do, something else goes wrong. Your marriage is in trouble. Your children are in trouble. Your, pro your car problems cost more than you have in the bank. Your boss is threatening to lay you off. The bank has called multiple times for that mortgage payment. And you're sitting there thinking, what on earth have I done wrong? And the next question that you begin to ponder is, where are you, God? I've been faithful. I'm going to church. I'm taking my kids with me. I'm living in accordance to your word. I'm tithing. I'm praying. And I'm reading. 
What have I done to deserve all of this? The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. James 1, 3, For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So here's the deal. Let me encourage you in the faith today. You're going through it so that you can get through it. Preach Pastor Dana. I will. Thank you very much. You're going through it so God can shine through it all. You're going through it so God can say, you can't get through it until you turn to me. Because here's the deal. Trouble may be surrounding you, but guess who is surrounding the trouble? And so let me prophetically speak this over you. I wrote this down just for you. You're going to make it. Look at your neighbor and say, you're going to make it, baby. If you're single, don't you dare say that to another single person. You're going to make it. You're not a loser. You're a winner. You're not defeated. Come on, somebody. You're victorious. God has you in this season to strengthen you, not to weaken you. Get ready, and here's the last thing that I pinned just for you. Your blessing is on the way. Somebody give God 10 seconds right now if you receive that prophetic word. Now here's, here's what I want you to notice. Number one, the church in Macedonia, they gave in spite of their circumstances. As we get back to our passage, we see that not only is the Macedonia church experiencing many troubles, but the Bible says they're very poor. The word poor right here in the Greek is the word toka. It means beggars. It means rock bottom destitution. It means when you ain't got nothing. There's no money in the bank and there's no money coming in. You have officially hit rock bottom. There's no money. There isn't anything in the account. And if there is, there's not much. You know, it would have been easy for Paul, to be honest with you, to bypass that circumstance. Paul could have said to them, I know that you're struggling. I'll come back when the economy is a little bit better. Paul could have said to that church, I know that not only are you going through many troubles, but I also know that you're very poor. I'll let all these other churches take care of the poor until, you know what? Things get a little bit better in your life. But this church said to Paul, don't you dare pass us by. Just because we've been going through it and just because we ain't got no money right now, we might not have much, but don't you rob us of the opportunity to give. You see, they didn't let their circumstances dictate their giving. And as believers, we give in spite of our situations. You want to know why? That's why they call us believers. 
I give in spite of what I'm going through. Why? Because I believe in God, baby. I believe in Jehovah Jireh. I believe in my provider. The Bible declares that if he will clothe the flowers in the field, how much more will he care for me? I'm not worried about it. Why? Because I believe in Jesus. I believe in God, and I believe that he's got my back. He says this in Matthew chapter 6, that's why I tell you not to worry about it every day of life. Whether you've got enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothes? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? That's a word for somebody right there. And why worry about your clothing? Here we go. Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. Don't they look pretty? That's what he's saying right there, man. They look nice. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, and what will we wear? Oh, my. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. Here's a word. Don't let your circumstances dictate your giving. Live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. Look at your neighbor and tell them right now, don't worry. God's got this. Don't worry. God's got it. Here's the second point I want to give to you very quickly today. Number two, this church in Macedonia, they gave willingly. Verse 3, for I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. You know, here's the deal. I don't want you to give today out of feeling of obligation. I don't. I don't want you to give today from a feeling of obligation, but of expectation. These people who have a need, they saw an even greater need. And they said, we must help those who have an even greater need than ourselves. Something powerful takes place in a church that will give willingly. You see, when you have your eyes focused on the need, your hesitancy diminishes. When you have your eyes focused on the needs of the community, you say, oh man, I can do that, baby. When you got your eyes focused on a church building that needs your help right now, you knew it was coming. You say, it's easy to give to that. I, I asked 
a few weeks ago when I received an offering for missions. How much is a soul worth to you? Because the truth of the matter is, the way that the kingdom works, we're always a byproduct of someone else's giving. We're always a byproduct of someone else's ministry, of someone else's prayer. I'm a byproduct today, not just of my parents who are in ministry, but I'm also a byproduct of some of the older ladies in the church who have gone on to be with the Lord of their intercessory prayer. I heard what Pastor James said last week as he edified the saints of this church. I do the same thing. I love the older generation in this church. I am who I am today because of their prayers and because of how they live their life. Come on, somebody. Give God some praise for that. When a church has a vision, some may see it not come to pass, but God's going to make a way. Among the vision of this house is to put two buildings on that piece of property. And I need you to be a part of that vision. We can't do it without you. And I don't want to do it without you. What fun would that be? Do it all by yourself? I don't want to do that. We've got too many people that try and do things by themselves in ministry today anyway. We've got too many people that can't even submit to one head now. I'm going somewhere with this. Jackie's like, what are you talking about? We've got too many people that try and do it on their own. When you try and do it on your own, you become too big to submit. That's why we've got so many people attending numerous churches in the area. Did you hear what I said at the beginning of this message? Find one church and get plugged into that one church because here's the deal with that. One church has one head. You can only submit to one head. Here's the deal. Why? Anything with more than one head is a freak. And anything with no head is dead. And you need to get around people that say, you know what, Pastor, man, he's spitting some truth now. Don't get around people that say, man, everything is wrong. How come we're not in that building already? I could have done this so much better. Well, how come you didn't? Get around people who will build you up. Not tear the work of the kingdom down. Here, is there a strong young teenager in this place? Give me somebody that's strong. Is there a strong young, young adult? Somebody. Nobody strong. Come here, Joel. Come here, Joel. There he is. Look at him. Beast mode, baby. Stand right here. Stand up. Stand up on the, um, there you go. I want to prove something to you right now. You need to be around people that are going to build you up, speak life into you, and encourage you. Because how many know it's not fun trying to do things on your own? Because when you begin to do things on your own and you're not around people that will help you, you become depressed. Nobody likes me. It's too hard for me. How come nobody around here cares for me? 
Joel, pull me up. You're strong, though. Show them guns off. You did it yesterday on the property. You're not going to, are you? He's got some guns, guys. He does, and it's legal. He's got a permit for them things. Come on, somebody. Pull me up, dude. Come on. Watch this. You know how easy it was for me to pull him down? Some people didn't get it. Pull me up, man. You're strong. Look at them biceps. Come on, Hulk. Thor ain't got nothing on those hammers. Come on. It is so much easier if you're around the wrong people. For you to get torn down. And for them not to build you up. You've got to get around a life-giving church that wants to pour life into you. You don't have to do it by yourself. Why do we have next steps? Why do we have Calvary groups? Why do we have fellowship? So that we can build a community of believers that does not have to do this thing alone. And you can get built up in the faith. Somebody give God some praise. <laughs> Two years ago, I'd have made that jump. Don't you judge me. We want you to be a part of the vision of the house. Now, here's the deal with the buildings. You ready for this? We have AC in those buildings now. This past week, the church purchased a desk for your pastor. All I needed was one thing to have office hours, and that was air conditioning. I can't be in no 90-degree building. I love you, but I'm not going to. We have AC in there now. There's somebody on the property right now as we speak that is installing all of the ceiling tile in that sanctuary. The entire buildings, both of them, have electricity to them. Some people will ask, well, can we turn it on? Is that, is that okay? An inspector came out from the city and gave us temporary power to turn both of the buildings on. That's why we were able to have power on the property. The Utilities Commission is the one that came out and hooked it all up. If we did not have permission, we wouldn't have lights. Come on, somebody. We are going forward in this thing together. And as we look back over both of the buildings, I'm sure... You know, we could have done things quicker. We could have done things better. There's always going to be mistakes. But here's the deal. When you begin to point fingers, know that there's always three more pointing back at you. 
We want to make sure that people are a part of the vision. The Bible says in 1 Chronicles 29 verse 1, Furthermore, King David, David said to all of the assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young, he's inexperienced, and the work is great because the temple is not for man but for the Lord God, what we're doing on that property is not for Shane Miller, it's not for Eric Danner, it's not for Michelle Miller, it's not for Jackie Danner, it's for no man in this building. It is unto God and God alone. Somebody give him praise. Let me just say this about those buildings before I get to number three and I'm finishing this thing up. Can I tell you today, that property belongs to God. Calvary owns it. Our name is on the deed. Hello? But ultimately, it belongs to God. Those buildings are God's buildings. The work cannot be done by man alone. We have got to have God be over it. Not just to be a part of it. We need God to supervise it. Everything that we do, we've got to make sure that we do it as good stewards of his finances. we got to make sure that we're surrounding ourselves with people that care for the work of the ministry and they will not bounce when going gets tough because how many know it's hard but the, if the work is great, the reward will be even greater. Somebody giving praise. No, I said giving praise. If you believe the reward is going to be great, if you believe that harvest is on the way, if you believe that revival is on the way, somebody giving praise. <laughs> Lastly, here's what I want to say. Number three, this church in Macedonia they gave as Jesus gave. They gave as Jesus gave. The Bible says in verse 9, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Everything that we do in our giving, we look to Jesus as the example. We serve like Jesus. We sacrifice like Jesus. We suffer, hello somebody, like Jesus. We overcome, come on now, like Jesus. We have victory like Jesus. We minister like Jesus. Can I tell you today, I'm so glad Jesus gave all of himself so that I today can live within the grace of the Father. He says these words, though he was rich, yet he became poor. So, for your sakes, by his poverty, he can make you rich. The word rich right there in the Greek, it, it, it's this word. It's Pluto. It means to have abundance. Man, that's a good word for this church. That's a good word for your finances. That's a good word if you're doubting today. God wants you to have abundance. God wants you to have more than enough. Because you see, when Jesus is in it, we've got more than enough. Uh, that word Pluto, it means to be richly su supplied. Where do my riches come from? It comes from the Lord. 
And now as I close, somebody come and play some sweet Jesus music for me. As I close, I want you to look at Paul's advice to the Corinthian church in verse 7. And here's how I want to end this message. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love, I want you to excel in this. Here's my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be, be matched by now your giving. Evidently, as I'm closing, Paul was at this church a year ago asking for faith promises for the poor. A year before, the church was all in, man. We can do this. We see the need. Even though we've got troubles and even though we're very poor, I see what I need to do. I'm all in, Paul. And now, a year later, some of them must have slacked off. They were eager at the beginning, but now, a year later, it's tough. It's hard. I'm stressed, Paul. You don't know, Paul, what I've been going through. You don't know the troubles that my family has been facing. And Paul is saying, I get what you've gone through, but let's be eager now on the finish just as you were in the beginning. He says, man, you've got it going on, church. You've got it going on. You've got the cool website. Hallelujah. And we do. We've got the podcast, yeah, yeah. We've got the cool band with the, the worship pastor who has his shirt unbuttoned and a Calvary t-shirt underneath it. And he's good looking and buff. Come on, somebody. This church has got it going on. We're growing. We're busting at the seams. We're already thinking about day one, having to go immediately to two services. God help me. We've got the good music. We are, our ministries are run with excellence. Praise the Lord. We've got a brand new kids pastor who's doing a phenomenal job already. Our nursery continues to grow. Two weeks ago, we had 16 babies. We had over 180 when our first Sunday here was in the 60s. The church has tripled. All glory to the Lord. Paul is saying, you're doing so well in all the other areas. Make sure your excellence matches in your giving compared to everything else your church is doing. Can I brag on this church for just a moment? When we first got here, it was rough financially. For the first six months or so, this church was continually in the red continually and when I say in the red y'all we were in the red it was bad we were thousands of dollars in the red every month and I'm sitting there thinking good lord you hear are you with me because I can't do this on my own I need you to be over all of this the same way that David wrote about Solomon being young, being his first time in ministry. I'm like, that's me, God. 
David didn't just write that about Solomon. He wrote that about Eric. But as the church continued to grow and as the church continued to buy into the vision, three locations in two years. One of the locations for a year and a half that met at 12 o'clock in some other person's church with an air conditioning that didn't even work. And yet the church doubled at that location. And now here we are. Look, look around. There's not much more room we can go. God's been good to our church. God's been good to us. God's been good. We're no longer in the red. We're in the black. The church is completely self-sufficient. We are able to pay all of our bills without the help of any other organization. Hallelujah. We're able to... We're able to bring Pastor James within the next few weeks full-time. We're going to be able to give all of our pastors a much-needed raise, excluding, excluding me and Jackie, excluding us, all of our other pastors a raise. They need it. They deserve it. When we're on the property, we're going to be able to pay our utility bill. Praise the Lord. We're going to be able to pay our electric bill. Hallelujah. We're going to be able to pay our mortgage. We budgeted. We're not running out of money. God's been good. But here's the deal. I came across a statistic the other day. I was actually talking to Pastor Troy from a Mormon campus about this this past week. Do you know in the American church now, a little under 3% of the church gives 10% or above? That means 97% of the church is not doing what God has called them to do. With all the good things that are going on here at Calvary. And God has been good. I bragged on you. There's no other place I'd rather be than here at this church. There's no other church I'd rather pastor. There's not a whole lot of churches in America anymore that are growing. Here we are growing, busting out the seams again, about to get on our property, hallelujah. But imagine what it would be like if those who were not giving eagerly came on board and said, you know what, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what pastor is suggesting. I'm going to give this tithing thing a try. I'm not doing it out of obligation because a man's telling me to do it. I'm doing it out of an expectation that God is in control and that he's going to provide that 10% that I'm giving and beyond. He's saying, you're great in so many areas, but be great in your giving. Your giving should be excellent too. doing this 
within a humble spirit today. I hope nobody received this wrongly today. That was not my intent. My advice to you today, and I'm only giving you this advice because I want you to be blessed the same way that my family is blessed and the same way that our pastors and our leaders are blessed, is give in accordance to the Word of God. there be a zeal there let there be a desire there let there be a hunger there because here's the deal I want to make a difference I want to make a difference in the lives of this community I want to be a church not just in the community how many times have you heard me say this I want to be a church for the community. By the time that God calls us elsewhere, I want needs met in this place. I want buildings built. I want to increase our missions giving. I want to add missionaries. I want to be able to take care of homeless. Let's build a dream center. Let's purchase property to take care of homeless folk and feed them and clothe them and get them jobs. Say, Pastor, what's your heart? I just told you my heart. I want to make a difference. How about you?